0: We are excited to bring you the first Noise Extra two-parter, our conversation with Dominic Furnow. Today's episode covers his youth in Wisconsin and his journey from death metal and techno to the formation of Purient and Hospital Productions. Part two will cover his first months in Providence and a very important trip to Lowell, Massachusetts. In addition, we are working with Hospital Productions to compile a live Purient box set commemorating the 25th anniversary of the project. This set will cover live prurient shows spanning the years 1997 to 2006. If anyone listening has a live recording, video, or radio show from this time frame, please email gang at com and we will go from there. We hope you enjoy the first of two episodes in conversation with Dominic
1: Fernow. Welcome back to Noise Extra. I'm Gray Holger, here with my co-host Tara Connolly. Hi. Mike Connolly. Hello. And our guest, Dominic Furno of Hospital Productions, Vatican Shadow, and Prurient. What's up, Dominic?
2: This is a paid interview, right?
0: Absolutely. Uh, we will... In the check will... Well, we'll see. It'll be in the mail. It might take, you
2: know, a while to yeah. get there. but We
3: pay in three-inch CDs. You take, yeah. Yeah, you yeah. take yeah. gift cards. Yeah. I, I,
2: yeah. Would, I would take a check, but the IRS has uh, frozen my bank account. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> we'll figure something out.
2: Yeah, we'll figure something
0: out. Um, welcome. Thank Dominic. you. Dominic, it's wonderful to have you. Um, of course, uh, coming up this Friday, September... Eighteenth is the release of the new Vatican Shadow album, Persian Pillars of the Gasoline Air on twenty bucks spin. So we thought it'd be a very uh, a very good time to finally have a conversation, and here we are. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Heck yes. So, man, this is like it's you know pretty stressful. It is. Yeah. yeah, I mean, obviously the four of us have known each other for such a long time. Uh, so it's kind of hard to even figure out where to start.
2: I was saying this morning, I was really stressed about it. And friends like, oh, what, what? you know those guys a long time. And I was like, well, it's kind of like playing a show. Like, I hate playing local shows. Like, I don't ever want anybody from my family to be at a show.
0: Right, right. Yes,
2: yes. You know, my ideal audience is just consisting of strangers.
0: Yeah, 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 like I don't want
2: people I know at the show. Yeah. It's horrible. Yeah. It's like it's, it's horrendous. So much more freedom when you don't know anyone. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. If I see a friend, I just immediately start apologizing. I'm so sorry, like I'm sorry for your loss, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry how bad it's going to sound and how long it's going to be and
1: yeah, and just everything. Just everything about yeah. it. Wait, you guys are have people, people at your people shows?
2: shows? Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. No. yeah that, no. I guess I guess we can start referring to to audiences as a thing of the past. Yes. <laughs> you know? It's like it, something antiquated like serial killers.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. We could yeah. Uh I think I'd rather have serial killers return than audiences though, but uh, you know, we'll <laughs> we'll see how it
2: goes. <laughs> I've been reading this Son of Sam book. It's really startling the parallels between the the city in 77 and the city now. The only thing really missing, you got the blackout, societal unrest, media hysteria, general fear, anxiety, panic. The only thing missing is a serial killer.
0: Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I think it's time. Everybody be on the lookout. <laughs> Step yeah, up yeah. To the plate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Now we have mass shooters. It's Yeah, I think it's been replaced with the mass shooter. Mm-hmm. It's a lot easier to load up an AR and and go to the movie theater than it is to plot and hide evidence and bodies and whatnot. The yeah. social
2: media version of of violence. It's just easier, quicker. It satisfies everybody's need to be famous.
0: Ab- yeah. No, I think absolutely. Yeah. I think that's a big part of it. I also think the kind of the everyone checking in, you know, fifty times a day on social media. So like, if you know, someone doesn't. Like a post, everyone's worried that you've gone missing, uh, you know, immediately, <laughs> whereas, you know, back in back in the 70s, people just kind of went missing. And no yeah, one seemed you to wouldn't care. hear from yeah. somebody for a yeah, week and yeah. it wasn't that unusual. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: The way Um, I feel every morning when my eyes open is like, oh, God, I'm not. No one took me yet. (laughs) (laughs) Another day of this. I have to be responsible for something. (laughs) I have to be responsible for my actions for another day. (laughs) It's
0: horrendous. Uh yes. <laughs> Oh lord Quite a burden
1: <laughs> This is not how I expected this uh Episode of our podcast to go I love it How did you expect it to go? I thought we'd ask some boring questions about how Dominic got into Noise and I don't know what his f- Favorite hospital packaging is or something
2: <laughs> wow. Is this the part where Gray says okay I think we've got enough
0: <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah like we, we just wrap it up
3: we're yeah. Just yeah. And wrap.
0: You got so anything I think to plug? we're good I think we're good mm-hmm. Uh <laughs> Well, Dom, how did you get into noise?
2: <laughs> well my understanding was that this was going to at least a little bit touch on the, the 90s era.
0: Yes, definitely.
2: What we did with hospital. And I think it requires a little bit of backstory. The story basically starts with metal. It's a it really is a metal story at heart. I got into metal in ninety-four. I was expelled from Catholic school and I had one from seventh grade and up to that point, it was one of those schools where there was only, I think, 24 students in the class. So wow. every year when you graduated, it was the same 24 kids each year. Right. I got into some trouble. I got kicked out and, and I this had is in my- Wisconsin? This is, Yeah, this is in Wisconsin. Okay. Now- Contrary to popular belief, I was not born in New York, but I was not born in Wisconsin either. I had a very strange few years before I ended up in Wisconsin. So I don't really have any roots to the city or the culture other than just my mom getting a job there. So it was a kind of strange strange time for me as a kid because I have such a deep association with geographical locations which is a huge factor in underground music across the board. So it was a kind of feeling of displacement from the get-go. That being said, going from a 24-student-per-year class to public middle school for one year for eighth grade to a 2,000-capacity school was was a culture shock. For sure. Mm -hmm. So it was around that time that I met some guys that had a band and i wasn't into music at all i was just into like oldies buddy right. holly Love and spoonful yeah. whatever was on the radio and my dad liked and admittedly my dad has a much more diverse taste in music but at the time i just i didn't identify with music my mom didn't listen to music we didn't come from a music oriented household right so i never really associated identity with music right mm-hmm. And I just happened to meet these guys because I was a juvenile delinquent. And <laughs> they were also juvenile. It's hard to imagine some metal guys in the 90s <laughs> being public juvenile. high school yeah, being delinquents <laughs> But they they introduced me to death metal. And I was a complete novice. I was just hanging out with them. And they all invited me over to their house to watch their band practice. So I had literally no contacts. I wasn't into Metallica or Dead Candies or... Joy Division or any of the transitional music that you might associate with underground extreme music. Right.
0: You just went right into death you metal. You went from much. zero to literally, literally
2: I went to Buddy <laughs> Holly to Anal Blast. Literally, my first death metal tape was Anal Blast, Puss Blood, Pentagram, and these guys were all. They were a little older than me. They were a couple years older. They were already hanging out with guys in high school who had things like amps,
3: right, right, and right, guitars.
2: Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Kylie and I have talked many times about the irony of when you're a kid. And there's that battle of oh, what amp can we get? Oh, it seems so impossible. Like, what's a good amp? Yeah. And then when you grow up, you're like, oh, you just buy a good amp.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. You <laughs> it's just like, like no longer it.
2: like an like a like a yeah. crisis in your mind. You just yeah. buy yeah. It's damn also day.
0: like, why do I have so many amps? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, and yeah,
2: and yeah. Why do they always keep breaking? Oh, because they yeah, suck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so these guys. It was a very profound moment for me. I can't overstate that it was like being pushed into a swimming pool or something unexpectedly Mm -hmm. and again pre-internet era can't be overstated enough the change in Mm -hmm. those kind of moments of discovery which i know we have all passed through in our time in different ways but point was that they were already involved in letter writing and tape trading so i didn't even really know cannibal corpse obviously i knew it from ace ventura
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Right. As many, and that was it. Yeah.
2: yeah. I didn't have any of the classics or even the entry level stuff. First of all, I started distributing their tape, which was just a rehearsal tape from 94 or
0: 95. The, the band, the, the, this band. Yeah, so, of, yeah. And, and
2: I, I do want to give credit to them. So it is 95. Yeah. The band was in Balm and Andy, who I'm still in touch with and, Still, stay in touch with pretty regularly. Has gone on to do a, a ton of other bands uh, since then. He had the band practice at his house, but it was the other guy. It was the drummer who was the sort of letter writer in the band.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: And he sort of literally introduced me to like letter writing. Wow! You write these bands, you know, you, you send the stamps, and you you can get their demos. I was like, how do you get all this stuff? I was just so mystified by it. And that was my head first introduction into underground in, culture. Wow. So I went back and I had a special order Tomb of the Mutilated by Cannibal Corpse. Oh, wow. Oh. Where, where did you special order it? It was special order from the store. It was called the Exclusive Company. It was a chain in Madison. Really good straight up record store. You get everything. Right. I did this special order and the store called and left a message on my mom's answering machine. And I was terrified that they were going to say the name of the album. Right. They're like, hey, this is a message for Dominic or, you know, so-and-so calling from the exclusive company, uh, you know, downtown, whatever, State Street location. Your special orders come in. And I was just petrified. So thankfully they didn't reveal that. You know, it's that level of fear and and kind of panic, even something like Cannibal Corpse being forbidden.
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm. definitely. And this is the
2: era when Bob Dole was on... TV, talking about parental advisory, and banning stuff, and yeah. people were, were burning albums in the street, and there was still Christians that were going after music. Right. Kind of like now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it was Oscar, this guy, Oscar Perez, who was the letter writer, and he, he really just showed me the ropes, and he also had the shirt. Right. So, you know, I remember him having a Presser Solstice of Oppression t-shirt. And I was just, how in the hell did, I, first of all, I couldn't even understand that these bands had shirts, right, let alone yeah. that the shirts were in color, let alone that you could order them through the mail. It was just an inconceivable concept. Now, I had a few shirts of my own at this time. I was obsessed with serial killers. And there was a company, which I can't remember the name of, which maybe you figure out, or maybe, you know, Mike, it was an ad in the back of Rolling Stone. Or spin, sorry, it was spin. And it was the when spin was big, the mm, big size yeah. format of the magazine. And it was a serial killer t shirt company.
0: I can I can picture it. I can't think of the name. I know exactly what you're talking about.
2: Yeah. So it's I like- already had the Jeffrey Dahmer shirt, John Wayne Gacy, <laughs> and I had the parody shirt of the Banson girls that was made to look like Charlie's Angels. So it said Charlie's Angels, squeaky from and I can't remember the others. You know,
0: I feel like I just saw, recently saw an ad for these shirts in someone had an old Expo of the Extreme. I guess they had a zine that came with it. Do you know what I'm talking about? The Expo of Extreme. Do you remember hearing about that?
2: I don't remember that. No.
0: It was in Chicago in 96 and 97. <laughs> and like Mortis headlined one year, uh, Bloody Minded played, but also wow. like Motorhead played. <laughs> And they also like had like, you know, freak circus it's just that like nineties yeah. like Sugar Ray totally, played. Totally, yeah. yeah like piercings. Like piercings and, and yeah. like porn stars Vinyl and like sugar ray. Skirts and things. Uh, but they had an ad for those shirts in the like thing, and I cannot think of the name of it, but I know exactly mm-hmm. what you're talking about.
2: I just wrote down a note the other day for a new perient title called Attracted to Piercings and Tattoos. <laughs> Anyway, I was like prepped. I was prepped for Death Metal because I was already in Serial Killer World. Right. The serial Killer trading cards, of course. And I had yeah. the book, which collected all of them. Do you remember those little books? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you were
0: prepped to be into yeah, Death Yeah, I was sort of metal. like
2: already into, you know, I got kicked out of, I got expelled from Catholic school. I was yeah, obsessed yeah, yeah, with yeah. serial killers. Yeah. The Jeffrey Dahmer <laughs> trial was pretty fresh.
0: Yeah. 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 And in Wisconsin. So like, yeah, you yeah, were just, right there. I just
2: couldn't, I couldn't find a way into music. Yeah.
1: You're primed for the extreme. Yeah.
2: So it made a lot of sense to me in a, in a visceral way, but it really wasn't until the aside once up on the cross that it, it really hit home because coming from a true crime background, I was sort of disappointed in death metal in a way because it was mostly fictional. I mean, there's the right. little nods here and there occasionally to the true crime end, but it was more like gore and horror based, which I've never been really into. So it was deicide. So yeah. deicide once upon the cross really hit home because it was Catholicism and uh-huh. it felt real to me coming out of Catholic school. It felt like something I could relate to, obviously. And it also felt really threatening because the imagery was supported by the rumors of the band. The band and actually... at that being, time. The whole, like, Eric and Brian Hoffman saying, being asked, why are you saying this? Oh, it's just how we were raised. It was just so terrifying at the time. And it was introduced to me by these two Hungarian brothers who were obsessed with soccer, and they, they lent me Once Upon the Cross. And it was just... A visceral, that was something I had to hide. That yeah. felt yeah. truly, truly dangerous on a level that the gore stuff never had. And and I think Wisconsin was so drenched in, and also Illinois was so drenched in these serial cases that it was kind of part of the pop culture.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So it didn't, even though it was so crazy to like have those shirts in retrospect, it never felt forbidden in the way that, like a dissected jesus did right 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 that actually would be and also i would i would add a recontextualized jesus
0: like on what you mean on the cover yeah just
2: the idea of like no. an autopsy no. you always think about okay it's it's jesus's death but you don't think about the end aftermath so it, it brought it into a strange kind of surrealist modern context
3: Mm-hmm.
2: that disassociation with taking ancient history or, or religious iconography and, and blending it with something kind of clinical and modern. Like, I think that was a really, really important marriage that never really came to life until later discovering industrial music. And fuck you if you don't think Once Upon the Cross is a classic. I, I can't stand those people that stop at Legion.
0: <laughs> I agree. Once Upon the Cross yeah. is... That is, I mean, i that's the
2: one. Uh, that's it's the Trevor one. Brown. Yet again, another foreshadowing into wow. our electronics, yeah. White House, noise, etc. Wow. Cool. Which, of course, I wouldn't know until later. But anyway, yeah. so I was really into to death metal and in particular deicide, which made everything else just seem lame.
3: Right. Mm-hmm.
2: Because of that content. And at the same time, quite accidentally, it was kind of not the beginning, but it was at least my beginning or awareness of rave culture that was happening in Madison. And it was really centered around, like, Dan Dormouse and Massive Drop Base Network, which was in Chicago, I think, or Illinois. I'll have to look that up. And this was the old days of raves where you'd get the flyers and they were unreadable and there was no location and you had to call the the phone number. And then there was the meeting point and the meeting point was always out in the middle of nowhere. And especially when you're in a place like Wisconsin, it's really out in the middle of nowhere because you're in farmland yeah. yeah, really, really quickly. I couldn't drive. I didn't have a driver's license. So we would hitch rides. Thankfully uh, not with
0: uh, oh. you, excuse me, you hitchhike? No, no, not hitchhiking, not hitchhiking. Yeah, i like, just Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah, was, like just, yeah.
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> I totally am opposed to hitchhiking.
0: Yes, absolutely.
3: Wisdom, Maybe there's
2: another title, unattracted to hitchhikers. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, we would we would get rides. I had a great relationship with my parents. I could be honest with them. I could be like, hey, my friends want to go to this thing can I go? And they'd be like, you can go if the following, right. You know, I'd I'd call or, or if you couldn't call, it's like you'd be back at a certain time or you made some kind of agreement, you know, there was one rave in particular called Raven and Bailey. That was a circus themed rave and it was out in the middle of nowhere. Wow. And I saw this guy, DJ anonymous. I had heard about techno in a really just – it was always always like peripheral or secondhand. I remember going to art class, and there were these two older brothers who were skaters. Now, I don't approve of skateboarding, but
3: <laughs> they, were
2: an, they were an influence. And I remember this guy saying, oh, there's this guy. you know, he just, he just plays like one kick drum for like 20 minutes. And of course, they're talking about Richie Houghton, who obviously was a massive influence through Fuse. But it was like hearing stories like that. So to me, techno always seemed minimalist and out of reach and mysterious Mm -hmm. in a way that death metal didn't. The techno world in comparison was almost impenetrable. You had to know, if you went to a techno shop, it was like you couldn't even understand what the artists were because 12 inches didn't have covers most of the time. So you're just looking at center labels. And even that as a concept was... Shocking, like what? There's no cover, like what? You know, so it was so uh reduced.
1: I still feel that way,
2: yeah,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. (laughs) So, hearing that kind of stuff and then hearing it it, as simultaneously, like friends that were starting to discover raves, it felt very, very dangerous and very foreign in a way that death metal didn't because I had this sort of just accidental like introduction to it Mm -hmm. from the ground Mm -hmm. up. Right. Death metal felt comfortable for me, and, and and techno felt really like alien and massive and distant and impersonal. But anyway, so there was this guy, DJ Anonymous, and he was wearing all white. And at okay. the time, that felt interesting or at least different because we all were all black.
0: Right, right. So I was like, still wow, there's like this genre.
2: Yeah, still do. So I was like this yeah. genre where they wear all white. Like, this is crazy. You know, they're out in the middle of nowhere and they're, they're playing records. It was just so fucking weird. And also so much louder than going to like a hardcore show or something where guys are usually playing out of amps. Right.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So seeing like a massive sound system out in the middle of nowhere, not really being able to get back, no cell phones. It's just a very, very, very different kind of atmosphere, which when you hear about like Berlin techno, Uh, and the wall coming down and all that, you're still in a city. You can still go home. Right, right. When you're out in the woods and there's no cell phone and you can't drive and don't have a driver's license, it felt very threatening.
0: I mean, I'm getting retroactively nervous
2: about you being. Yeah, this sounds very stressful. Yeah, yeah. 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 Not (laughs) not as nervous as Frank Salerno. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. As stressed as Frank
2: Salerno. But the reason I mentioned specifically DJ Anonymous is that at the time, which I still can't understand because when I talk to people, it must have been, it must have been just a moment in time because I always associated techno with cassettes because at the time in Madison, all the DJs made literally mixed cassettes. They made mixtapes and there was a store called Audio Depot and there was literally a wall of just DJ mixes on Mm. tape. I think one time there was even a time where a guy came up in the street to my friend running a car and was handing out tapes through the, through the window of the wow. car, you know, like, like a guy on the corner. DJ Anonymous had a double cassette that was one side. It was the first double cassette I ever saw before I ever saw a noise one. It was just two jewel cases reversed and taped together with packing tape. Sick. He made the double case, it's a, it's you know, the butterfly style. case. Yeah. yeah. And it was one side drum and bass and one side gabber. So which at the time was like the extreme. Mm. And one side was an s and picture of a femdom and the other side was an s and picture, the reverse. That was like, oh, this makes sense. You okay, know, like, this, right. this, this is like, oh, this is techno. Like, oh, whoa, crazy. You know, I thought it was, I thought it was circus and computer flyers and all this shit. My friend at the time, who was one of the guys, I got kicked out of, of school with, okay, he was like my best buddy at the time, and he had a, a PC, I don't know what year or model, but it was an IBM. There was a program on it called Screen Tracker 3. Oh, yeah. Do you know ST3. this, 3 I don't know if dot matrix is the real term, but that's, in my mind, that's what it is. It's like, there was a cursor, it was green on a black background, you could only go, up and down or left and right. And there was a sample bank and you would insert the samples with the cursor. And it was like basically a sequencer, you know, it was like bars and you could do overdubbing, but it was really primitive. And he was kind of the guy that got me into to the rave stuff. And he got really intense into it. And he actually had a party at his house one time his parents were away and he played plastic man and he had like DJs come and that was the first time I actually heard Plastic Man instead of just hearing about it. So it was like hearing it at somebody's house doing like a party while the parents are away wow. And and it was around that time. So it was already like knee deep in death metal and going to Milwaukee Metal Fest, which I'll get to later, which is I can't overemphasize the importance of. But he was sort of like slowly, slowly Mm -hmm. becoming like a DJ. And Partially due to DJ Anonymous and SNM Pictures and handmade cassette packaging in the most crude form, like taping two jewel cases together, and then the other link would be Godflesh Street Cleaner, and that was something I identified with because that was the first time, just like everybody else, hearing a drum machine right in a, in a metal album. Cause death metal was so oriented around the drummers and. I don't know what it was for other people, but at that time for me, like they were a death metal band, but they were different. And I remember walking in Chicago because my dad used to live in Chicago at the time in, in Boys Town. And I remember walking in it was super bitter and cold and feeling like, oh, this is like Godfish Street. <laughs> like, yeah. like so miserable and it's so fucking cold. Chicago sucks so much. And. All the emotions I still have today. <laughs> it just immediately gave you that urban feeling and it gave you a feeling yeah. of, of coldness that death metal didn't give me. It was around that time we sort of like started hearing about industrial music. Again, another so like at hearsay. This time
0: you hadn't really heard industrial, you know, up to this point. Yeah.
2: Nothing. Zero. If you consider Godflesh yeah, industrial industrial, yeah, you know, or really. like Gabber or something, but not right. real industrial music. So we just started looking for what we thought industrial should sound like. And this is, I guess this is 95. Okay. And keep in mind, I started praying in hospital when I was 16. Right. In 97. Right. So I'm 14. So we just literally started looking like we'd go to record stores, to take the bus, nobody had a car, go to record stores and just say, do you have any really? industrial music?
3: Amazing. Yeah.
2: And it was just as simple as that. And the answer was always like, oh yeah, totally. And then it'd be like swamp (laughs) terrorists. So we just got burned out on never feeling, I I forgot to mention, we heard about industrial music, which we literally interpreted and thought to be the sound of machines. Right, right, right. So every time we'd get something, we'd hear a guitar or something or or instruments, it just never felt like, oh, whoa, there has to be something else, you know, this can't be right. (laughs) So we just started using this ST3 program to try to, well, if we can't find industrial music, we're just going to try to make industrial music or or at least what we think it should sound like based on the limited right. information that we have based on here, which is about as in-depth as like a movie stub, <laughs> the Johnny mnemonic and right, right. horn CD or something, you know, like that. that, that was right. as close as we came. So his stuff basically became techno and my stuff, sort of became noise or like rhythmic noise maybe. And again, you couldn't put sounds in, so you were le- limited to like what the samples were that were So the available. samples
0: were actually like a part of the program?
2: No, it was like stuff that he would find online. Yeah, there was a Downloaded pretty big sample samples. community yeah. for the yeah. trackers
1: in the 90s. There, there was like people would – people had yeah. – you know, audio interfaces were a lot less common back then. You might've had a sound blaster or something. Um, And it may, I'm not sure if they all had audio inputs or not, but few, few people like uh, in the nineties, people would be using like Amigas to make music with tracker software on them, whatever. And you would have to have like a special device to allow you to, yeah, everyone's got an audio interface now, or at least a line in on their laptop, but it wasn't like that.
2: This was just a input Jack. And I mean, I was just a loser with an as I couldn't do (laughs) anything.
1: Yeah. So you, you were limited to what samples you could find on like a bulletin border or, or like dial up thing or your friends would trade with wow. you or yeah. maybe.
2: Online is the wrong word. I mean, that's what yes. it is, but it was so archaic at that time. I didn't know anything, but my point was that I ended up with a lot of doom and doom Two samples. <laughs> <laughs> the stuff has never been released. So and he started getting really serious. He came up with a DJ name dropped out of school. He was the first guy I knew that dropped out of high school, which is and he got he got kicked out with you, you said this is so I got expelled with him. Sorry, sorry. So I fucking I was wrong. I got expelled with two other guys. Okay. At the same time. So me and the my two best friends got expelled. We all got sent to this school. And we were just the point is we were bad kids and the guy dropped he dropped out. Right, right. Yeah. And he was the first guy I knew that dropped out. And he had like an older girlfriend from the rave scene. wow! And it was like, you know, it was a lot of, you know, Midwest depravity.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: <laughs> anyway, so his, so he started to become serious about making techno. And he asked his parents as a Christmas present that he wanted to record the tracks that he had made on ST3 in a recording studio wow. <laughs> and get them off the computer because there was no good way to get it off the computer. Oh my God. It was just sitting in the program. And so we would try you know, like dubbing tapes and stuff, and it just never sounded right. Really. Yeah. So they did what he asked. He took the PC to a recording studio and had it professionally transferred. Now it wasn't master or anything; it was literally just transferred, like from to a CDR, which at the mm-hmm. time was not domestic That's impossible technology. It was it was a hundred dollars a disc,
3: yeah. and wow. he got
2: one CD. So I got frustrated by that, and I said, "You know what, man." this is a bunch of BS. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to do my own thing. Yeah. I'm not getting anywhere with these doom two samples. <laughs> I'm going to start a new project. And I, and you know what? Fuck these computers. Fuck computer music. I'm going to make an organic anti technology industrial project. Cause I'm tired of swamp Terrace. I'm tired of this ST3. I'm tired of these fucking doom sounds. So that was when I started. That's when I started making noise. Wow. Completely by accident. You know, I thought it was a genius. I thought, wow, I invented noise music. <laughs> Not knowing there was like, you know, 30 years, yeah. let alone yeah. Luigi yeah. Rossolo or anything like that. Just it was right. total isolation. But that's important because isolation and limitations are I think in many ways lost in our Mm. current time that struggle to overcome limitations is so essential to many of the bands and artists that we revere and have been inspired by and uh, I'm not putting myself in that category but that that just simple urge of like, fuck, there must be more. The idea of there must be more. I I need more.
1: Even now when we have like the stay at home orders and you know, people self-isolating and trying to stay away from their jobs and away from social gatherings, you still have, if you have internet access to every record from the IRS. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Every record ever, every movie you could want to watch. It's not just limited to what you or your friends have. And you also have a uh, 20 years of, maybe buying records or movies. So you have these th- with internet access. So you have these things in your house. Like I, there's never a time when there's not like some, a movie you could watch or a record you couldn't listen to now, but go back to
2: 1996. Hey, hitting that blockbuster and yeah. man, you're really looking for home alone, but it just ain't there. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Might end oh, up yeah. With basic yeah. Instinct instead. Yeah. <laughs>
0: And then your whole world opens up. But yeah. I, but I, but I think that's a, but I do think that's a huge thing. Yeah. Because you were, it was what was available. So yeah. Whether or not it's basic instinct or swamp terrorists or, you know, a weird handmade, you know, techno, you know, tape. Oh man. That's you guys
1: what, watch burial ground after our Scott yeah. Arford episode. Yeah. I'm going to watch basic instinct after this one.
2: Whoa. I haven't listened to the Arford episode yet. Cause it was too intimidated, but huge fan. And, uh, man, if it has any kind of influence on, in, even indirectly or with basic instinct. <laughs> I used to have a basic instinct shirt. I've wow. seen a picture of you in a basic instinct shirt. Yeah, I was a real <laughs> asshole with that shirt. Yeah. <laughs> Not like basic instinct, like Grogan, yeah, Detective yeah. Grogan,
0: <laughs> he's got that instinct. Um, but yeah, anyway, but yeah. So, so you were in a time I was
2: like, of- "Fuck this! I can't do anything on the computer. I can't. I'm so frustrated." And I still can't do anything on the computer. By the yeah. way, <laughs> <laughs> I was telling Chris Lapke from uh, Albrick the other day because he's he's such a talented engineer. We we're working on some new tracks, and I was like, "Thank God you're around," because the last two computers have had they 15 years old. One of them's down and I just can't be bothered to learn a new program. So I'm I'm still working on programs that are 15 years old that were free software. And one of the devices has gone down. So now I'm down to one 15-year-old computer. <laughs>
0: That is that's and he was responsible too. Yeah.
2: You could just learn a new program, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you know what? Working with limitations has served you well.
2: So I'm long-winded I'm here, be- but that's, the point can, was: please, current came out of frustration, rose yeah. out of inability, and my mother went to journalism school in the '60s, and she had, and I wish, my God, I wish I had this thing. She had a tape recorder. From then. And a mic. Big, long, silver microphone. I don't know what it was. And that tape recorder. It had a big speaker on it. It was in a sort of like plastic. It had a strap, a shoulder strap Mm. with a plastic case. And then a very large speaker on the actual tape recorder. So it was almost like a little amp. Wow. And you could do For some weird reason, I don't know why you could do feedback. Wow. Because it had an output while recording through that speaker. And I don't know if it was a malfunction or an actual feature because I can't remember what the hell it was. But that was the start of prurient. So it was just having a microphone, making the most crude, shittiest feedback in the world, but being completely fascinated by it because it was new to me and just taking the mic and scraping and doing concrete sounds. So at the time her boyfriend, I don't know why, had a bunch of spent shotgun shells. So I had a huge bag of empty shotgun shells. <laughs> I had this tape recorder. I had a microphone and I just started. And had, of course I had my guitar. So there was guitar noise. Uh-huh which I thought it was the first genius to, oh, if you like, you <laughs> down tune <to> this enough. <laughs> this is really ha- crushing. But I had that. And then I had the drum set from Embalm, the death metal band, who for some insane reason, my mom agreed to let them practice at our house in the what? basement. Amazing. That's wild. And so they had their stuff down there. So all the first experiments with noise, it was just basically using death metal gear and my mom's tape recorder from journalism school from the sixties. Wow. And I did vocals on the first prayer tapes, really stupid now, but at the time again it felt exploratory. It was just doing the vocals, putting my head in the washing machine. So as a metal (laughs)
0: So you so you you like basically open up the washing machine?
2: (laughs) Yeah, so I would just <laughs> dunk my head in there and scream, and I had the tape recorder. And then this is this is really weird. I started bringing it to school, and I actually the first tape has a track that's cut ups of the weight room,
0: like so, like the nice. clinking and yeah. like the, the like in
2: the gym yeah. in the gym. So it had the metal weights. And a metal junk, but from the gym and this is on in high
0: school. The first print tape, a simple mark. This is on a yeah. simple mark. The very wow. the very
2: first one, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then of course the track, you know, physical fitness <laughs> question mark. And you actually can hear there's there's like little bits of voice from my gym teacher in the background being like, you know, pay attention. And then the real revelation was I and I don't remember where I got it. I think it was leftover. I got a karaoke mm-hmm. machine. Yeah. So I could do overdubs. I could do a two track and it yep. had built-in effects that had echo. I don't know if it had reverb. I think it was just echo and two track. So then I started, I switched to that and it was around this time. So I, I I'm getting a little out of chronology here. Right, yeah, but, yeah. Um, so again, in the, in the ongoing search for industrial music, we saw a flyer on a telephone pole by my parents' house up on the main street. And it, it said the razor room, You know, it said gothic, punk, metal. Oh, no, it it actually said extreme metal. I remember that. Oh, wow. I think it said industrial or electro or electronic. I'm not sure. But it definitely said gothic and it definitely said extreme metal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it was one of those pole tabs.
0: Yeah. Right, right, right.
2: You know, those flyers where you cut the tabs. And it was never open when we could go there because the guy had like a night job or something. And he turned out – so he was doing – he was doing the college radio WORT, And he also did a, a show, which I, unfortunately I can't remember the name of, but that was, I remember picking up the station and that being the first time I heard throbbing gristle. Oh, wow. And it yes. said, and I remember specifically, cause he said, and now from the godfathers of industrial music, throbbing gristle. And I thought, Holy shit. Like this is it. This is what I'm looking for. Yeah. So later on, I put two and two together and realized that that was the guy that had this store, but it was mm-hmm. never open. Cause he was always doing the night shift. Uh, so it was just, I was in school
0: weird times yeah. or just during yeah, the yeah, day. He yeah. was open
2: during the day and we were always yeah. in school. So we had the day off for some reason. And we took the bus down one day and it was just like, absolutely mind boggling. Oh man. Now there wasn't any noise really, but there was this and this changed everything for me.
0: Industrial Whoa. nation. Oh Yes. This
2: this particular issue, if you can look, and it says, What do you know, Mers Bell?
1: Wow. So you got now, that is on this your first trip? survival research labs too on that?
2: Yes, yes. Wow. Yes. And also uh, an important band which was local, which was uh onoroid Psychosis, and also Pain Station, who I also put on my Bergheim mix as a tribute, which was really cool that he agreed. And he went on to do, if I'm not mistaken. Converter.
1: Oh, right. Yeah.
2: He became like an ant Zen guy. Scott Sturgis. And I remember in the interview, you know, he was talking about, Oh, I don't really do like whatever. I do noise. It was an important connection for me as an art student, as you know, somebody who was uh, obsessed with Dadaism and cubism and surrealism and futurism. I couldn't believe my eyes when I opened this magazine and it not only did it say industrial at the top, and I didn't know anything about Merzbell. You hadn't even heard the
0: name yet when you got this magazine? This
2: was my literal introduction to Merzbell. Wow. I think so. No, I no, that's not true. There was a guy that was a family friend that had said when we were playing him, God, there's just so much to say. I just, I don't know how to fucking stop. But <laughs> no, it's great. It's awesome. To, back, to backtrack a minute, when I was still trying to find industrial music, but I was still a death metal head. Yeah. There was a moment where and I was in the rave scene. So I was hanging with my rave friends and there was this guy who was like, oh, we can do this a little better. We can like multi-track. I couldn't find a drummer. My first instrument was an Ibanez guitar. My mom bought it for me. It was for $50 with an amp and an Ibanez and she bought it used. Right. Yeah. And she said, I'll buy it for you, but you better learn how to play it. Right. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I swear to God, I'm going to learn this song up and down. What I really wanted to do was death metal. Mm. I couldn't put a band together. There was one guy who was an incredible drummer. His name was John Matlock. He was <laughs> obsessed with dream theater. Mm-hmm. And he had the drum pads and a drum set. And I can't remember why he couldn't do it. We had one practice. And he was like, hey, man, you know, my stepdad doesn't really want me to do this stuff anymore or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, It was like we had one moment. If I had all these riffs, I got to play them one time with a drummer <gasps> once. And that was the, the beginning and end of it. So I was like, you yeah. know what? And I had a logo and the, the band was called Mephitic Kremlock.
0: Whoa.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Which
2: it meant a disease-filled stench arising from a medieval morgue.
0: Wow. I had
2: a logo and I had a shitload of riffs and that's all I had. Yeah. Then I had Crushed Dream. <laughs> like everyone else.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. Not Whose much eyes change. open in the morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just it's, shattered dreams. It's, it's the same still. In My friend was
2: like, I can fucking, I can program beats for you. He's like, I've got this program. Cause he was into techno and, and rave stuff. Uh-huh. He was interested in drum machines and sampling. And actually that's one of the very first hospital tapes. I think it's HOS three. That was his project. That was literally called dark experimental techno. That was the description. Wait, that wait, that was the description. That was the description of the description project. But it was yeah. it was literally in the very first hospital catalog. It says dark experimental techno. Wow, that's so. So cool. there's this insane recording that I have still that I've never released of the first project that I had. Well, it's the second project. It wasn't the techno stuff. It's computer drum machine, the guitars, and then for some reason, when we recorded it out from the computer onto the karaoke machine it got slowed down. And I was like, fuck it. I don't give a fuck. Nothing's going to stop me from my dream of being in an industrial metal band. (laughs) So I recorded death metal vocals that weren't pitched over the pitched down computer programmed drums and guitar. And his buddy, when we were working on that, the reason I mentioned it and remembered it is because he said, oh, you guys should check out this guy from Japan, Murzbell.
0: Oh, okay. So that's the first, that mm-hmm. was like, oh, first so you, Yeah. Basically yeah. like,
2: I was like, oh, okay. But, yeah. um, he was right. Yeah. Yes, he was. So yeah. That actually was the first instance that I heard of It Murzbell. was heard
0: the name, but
2: still. And he was like, oh, he does like noise, right. you know, you, you guys really, what you're trying to do is noise. Like you, you might be interested in this. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay.
3: Now I want to so hear, hear this that, release. Yeah. <laughs> if it made him think when of Murzbell. I-
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because when I got to RISD later, Chris was a great bassist. And I was like, man, I have these fucking death metal riffs. They have never been properly recorded. Like you should we should do this project. So there's a recording of us, it's just guitar and bass, and there's no drums and vocals. So it's full death metal songs, guitar and bass only.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But that industrial nation was the first time you kind of had real at least and and the yeah. understanding Mirsbau I guess or whatever having an interview just knowing with anything about it yeah, yeah 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 and the
2: thing that blew me away in the opening the opening of the article it talks about Kurt Schwitters. Mm-hmm. and as an art student from like a lack of a better word like art family it's not really true but I mean I was going to art class my mom was writing poetry and my dad had taught art in the 60s. They weren't professional artists, but there was always this emphasis of like, "Oh, you're a creative guy." Like they wanted to like foster that because what else were they going to foster? Me fucking <laughs> watching Basic Instinct,
0: <laughs> <laughs> getting getting kicked out of school and watching Basic Instinct,
2: getting expelled <laughs> yeah. from fucking Catholic school and, 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 and getting and wearing watching su- Basic Instinct
0: serial killer shirts and yeah, yeah wearing yeah. serial killer
2: shirts. What else? Those, those poor people. Yeah. <laughs> so it was the Kurt Schwitters connection, and I was like, I knew it. Yeah. This is art. Right, right, right. (laughs) (laughs) Then it was going to the Razor Room over and over and over again. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And there was one tape of a local band who, weirdly, I never had any contact with. And if you're listening by any chance out there, I'd love to get in touch. It was called Meat. (laughs) And it only did one tape, as far as I know. Maybe I'm wrong. But that was the only noise in stock. And the guy was like, oh, you like noise? You should like check out this local band. And I was like, oh, okay. Wow. So I just kept going over and over whenever I could. And that was like profound because it was also the metal store, which leads me to Milwaukee Metal Fest. Right. Which was just uncalculably important for so many people. To this day, I'm still meeting people who were at those fests. And it it is truly like a slice of the amount of people that were in one room at the same time that didn't know each other that went on to do things. It's like pretty overwhelming. I don't think it's yeah. – I'm not sure if I can think of something comparable. And that would also be like Dave from 20 Book Spin. Like once we started talking, it became apparent, oh, yeah, we were at all those same metal fests basically. Didn't he know was each at
0: other. the same ones you were?
2: Yeah, along with like Jim from Missouri and, and like some of the guys in Geography of Hell. Wow. And like – you know, oh, just, wow. the, the, uh, going on and on and on for years, I'm still meeting people that were at Milwaukee Metal Fest.
0: What was the first year you went?
2: 97. Uh, we should look this up. I don't know. I'm pretty sure it was before hospital started uh-huh. officially, which well, is yeah, October 97. Yeah.
0: And those Milwaukee Metal Fests, if I'm not mistaken, were in the summer.
2: They're in the summer. So, so, so it
0: would have yeah. been yeah, would have been so, maybe the summer. I was before. aware
2: of noise by the time mm. like I knew what Murzbell was by the time and like relapse uh-huh. by the time I was going to the metal fest. Right. And I was already fully in death metal. It was a physical manifestation of the letter writing. Right, so, right, right. And in some cases, meeting people that you would write letters to, like Dave Kibler from Lividity, or the guys in Deadend or Flesh grind, or, or fucking Internal Bleeding. I remember I was writing letters to Frank Greeny from Internal Bleeding in high school, him telling me about guys who I would later on meet in Long Island that were also in bands at the time who got into noise years and years later. So there's all this connectivity with Milwaukee Metal Fest. Mm. I mean, this isn't New York City. We didn't have CBGBs. This isn't the West Coast. There was no Gilman Street. That's the Slapaham stuff. We were in the fucking middle of nowhere. We were in fucking farmland. We we're in Ed Gein country, you know? Ah.
0: Mm-hmm. Where where was the where were the Milwaukee Metal Fest? Held? Was it like, the was Eagles the
2: ballroom and the Ray bar at first and then it moved venues later on? Oh okay. but and so and that was, pretty big places. And that, yeah, and that was Dahmer territory. Yep. The, the McDonald's around the corner was right there in that. Area, wow. Wow. Which was also part of the atmosphere because it was like macabre doing yeah, songs Dahmer. about doing yeah. the fucking Dahmer album going yep. to see Macab in Milwaukee playing Dahmer tracks and then in the neighborhood and going to a McDonald's that you knew that Jeffrey Dahmer had been at. You know. Wow. Watching one of your favorite bands standing next to a guy in another one of your favorite bands And then watching that person get on stage and play their set. And them handing you a tape or a flyer or whatever. And there was just, there was a removal of audience and artist. That was really, that would be, of course, taken to the extreme. It noise at that time. Mm -hmm. This is different. There is like a sense of intimacy. And you can interact with these people. Anyway, so it was like really important because there was a, the curtain was sort of dropped between the idea that you could talk to anybody,
3: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: even if they were fucking in flesh grind. you know, like, some of these yeah. guys are pretty intense characters, yeah. especially like the Corpse bristle guys in Texas, Hound. They had a mosh organization called uh, the Pitbulls and there was the <laughs> rival organization called the Gravediggers.
0: So these were like actual mosh, like wow. They were they were basically
2: gangs, but it was wow. death metal gangs, essentially. They're just yeah.
0: enforcing the
3: pit.
2: Yeah, and you know, I remember seeing this guy with a back piece of the Cannibal Corpse logo. Wow, sitting with like no shirt on. I was just so shocked by that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This guy Hound, we would see him year after year. They, hey man, I had this demo from this new band. It's like the heaviest, grindiest, slammiest shit you'll ever hear in your fucking life. And it was the Devourment demo. And I bought it from him. It was two songs. It was Festering, Vomitous Mass, and Shroud of Encryption. And I took it home and I was like, holy shit, it's the heaviest, grindiest shit <laughs> I've ever fucking heard. So, you know, I got like the cephalic Carnage demo like from the guys. It was all that wow. time. So there was seeing Mortician with a drummer, seeing the last show of Sephalic. Stuff- Seeing Emperor. Right, because they played Milwaukee Anthem, Metal. Right? them to the Welcome It Dust with Isan wearing the armor. You know, the first, well, it was the second actually, but it was the first mayhem tour. So it was in the States. So it was 98. I think they did a show on the West Coast, and then they did Milwaukee Metal oh, fest That kind of stuff matched with the record store, matched with the letter writing. And it was like, okay, like this is the full thing now. Now that people right. are real, yeah. the difference between writing somebody in Singapore and writing somebody in Waco the atmosphere of getting a letter back from across the world or from Waco, Texas, you know, it's just unimaginable. So that really cemented the idea of person, place, and thing for me that I still carry on. And when we've tried to do our events, I mean, obviously they're not Milwaukee metal fest, but the idea of continuity is I think the most important aspect in any show. And that's person, place, and thing. And that also includes the merch. You know, having a merch table is so visceral and important because in many ways, before social media, that's the thing that you're taking home. Unless you're savvy enough mm-hmm. to bring a disposable camera with you or whatever. Right. I never did. I just left with the demos or the flyers or the shirts. So the- Was
0: that like the first time you saw like a giant merch table?
2: Yeah, and I couldn't believe that there was this many people into this thing. Even though it's right, ridiculous right. when you think about the context of how big death metal was in the 90s, still the isolation of Wisconsin yeah. was just profound. Yes, yes. If you saw anybody, I remember seeing a guy with an immolation shirt and just chasing him down on the street, like, do you like immolation?
0: It's <laughs> <laughs> awesome.
2: Yeah. And then like him being like an awesome guy with an immolation shirt with like leather gauntlets. And a shaved head and then turning around and seeing me and be like <laughs> I was like, aren't you still looking for industrial
1: music?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Are you still trying to find out what industrial yeah. music is? Are you
1: still trying to like, like figure you know, yeah. <laughs> so Dominic, uh I have a, an actual question about all this. Wow. Uh very early on in our friendship, you sent me some tapes that inspired you early on with hospital. I remember one of them was called like astronaut ice cream headache
2: oh my god
1: (laughs) you sent me some stuff from this label and uh you said that was really influential to you too and i think maybe the first person sort of doing experimental or weirder stuff that you had gotten in contact with what can you tell us about that
2: well that was the beginning of it all i was in graphic design class in high school uh this is 97 now so i've already been into death metal for a couple years and then it's funny to think about it because it was literally called graphic design you know like now people just say design but then it was Mm -hmm. graphic design like meaning you're literally going to make graphics you're going to make packaging you're not making you're not making art you're doing something that's different Mm -hmm. so there was this kid he was he was older than me by a couple of years named matt Simmons. he had a frontline assembly long sleeve for millennium because we're going to lay out in photoshop And I just approached him and I said, oh, what are you working on? And he says, oh, my friend is starting a record label and I'm making a tape for him. And it was literally that moment my life changed forever because as silly as it was, I was still coming from death metal. So I was like, tapes are demos. Mm
0: -hmm. They're
2: not albums.
0: They're not the final thing.
2: CDs are albums. Right. So that was just, oh my God, a a tape is a record. Wow. He's like, oh yeah, I'm into electronic music, you know, experimental stuff, industrial.
0: There's that word again. Yeah, yeah.
2: He said that his birthday was coming up. His birthday was on Halloween, and that for his birthday party, he was going to show, like, he was going to throw a show of all of his friends' bands. And I was just like, oh my god, like this is just, this is the Milwaukee Metal Fest, but this is local. Yeah. This is the person, the place, and the thing and I don't have any money, and I don't know how to make anything, and all I have was Doom 2 samples. <laughs> so I, I'm going to fucking, I can't believe it. This guy's like, he, you know, I'm gonna, I want to learn from this guy. Yeah. He came back, and I was like, I really want to get involved. We started talking. We kind of got along. The label that he was making his tape for, it, his project was literally called The Matt Simmons, and the <laughs> label was called Bishu Records, and it was his buddy from Milwaukee which again was another connection to the metal fest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I was like, Oh wow. There's this stuff from Milwaukee. That's crazy. Like I've been to that McDonald's that Jeffrey Dahmer went to.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's so cool. You know? Yeah. So they had, for lack of better it was sort of like DIY bedroom indie that did sort of drift into noise, but they also did surf rock. Mm-hmm. They did singer songwriter stuff. Mm-hmm. The guy has a brilliant album called, but Dave Andre is the head of the label, and he went on to do a lot of avant-garde film work. He did a, a cassette that was just him and a Stratocaster, and he made a song about all of his friends. And I cannot tell you, this is like one of my top albums of all time, and it's so catchy, I still remember it to this day. And it's just him in a room recording these fucking songs and putting a tape out of it. Mm-hmm. So I was fascinated by that. I came back to Bat Simmons and I said, I really want to be a part of this. I have some ideas for your birthday part. I didn't really know what noise was, mm-hmm. but I was like, I do noise. Mm-hmm. After the Merzbauer interview, right. Kurt Schritters makes art out of the filth that surrounds him. In my mind, I was connecting with that by taking this bag of spent shotgun shells and my mom's <laughs> old tape recorder and going to the gymnasium at the high school. That was the filth that surrounded me. So I was like, I have this product. I'm also working on it, but it didn't have a name yet. I was just making recordings. Mm -hmm. And he was like, he came back the next day to a 30-count case logic zip-up. Oh, classic. The black zipper with the slots for the jewel cases. So good. He, He said, if you don't like something in this, we can't work together. So I went home with this great, I went home with 30 CDs. Wow. Now that's someone,
0: that's a, that's a trusting he's, friend. He's thorough. Yeah. who's going to like, you know, let you borrow 30 CDs. Yeah. Wow.
2: Yeah. And it was a lot of digital hardcore recordings. It was a cater. It was Atari teenage riot, which those guys, that was a big influence for them. You know, Alec empire frontline industrial revolution comp, which is I think Cleopatra. Mm-hmm sounds like it you must know this it's the gear with the guys stretched he's got the piercings and he's stretching his I face can picture out Picture
0: the cover yeah. absolutely mm-hmm. there's
2: multiple volumes anyway but in there was the haters mind the gap on vinyl communications along Whoa. with tit wrench on vinyl communications and that was just that was it and i didn't know the haters. this is so totally blind completely blind he's like yeah. this is a a record made by a band that's the recording of them stapling records together with a staple gun. And I just couldn't believe it. Yay. I get the chills thinking about it now. It's just like, Oh my God, this is, this is it. It's not what I thought it was. This is it. At this time I had, I had started to kind of get the material together for the first praying cassette, which is also the first hospital tape, praying a simple mark. I was sitting in a Chinese restaurant with my mom and I was trying to describe to her what I was working on. And I said, mom, you know, what's a word that describes this feeling? You know, it's like a, it's feeling of, of a, it's a sick feeling. It's, it's a feeling of dread, of, 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 of foreshadowing, of, of doom. But it, you're also kind of into it. You kind of, you kind of obsessed by it. You're, you kind of can't get away from it. And there's this kind of fascination. But it's a sick feeling. It's a negative feeling, but you're kind of into it. <laughs> and she just said, prurient. Wow. And I, ne- I never heard Whoa. the word.
0: Yeah.
2: I didn't even know what it fucking meant. And actually this is important because this is a big difference. You heard it here.
0: Dominic's mother did name the project.
2: I still have the dictionary that she gave me when I was a kid. And the reason this is important It's a Webster's New Student's Dictionary. Mm -hmm. The reason that it's important is this is the only time I have ever seen a definition of prurient with this word in it. And this had a big impression, which was, fuck, I have to find it. I'm also dyslexic and have a lot of other problems that, you know, (laughs) things like this are hard for me, you know, looking up a word in a dictionary.
1: Is the word malaise... Is that the word we're getting? No, Damn. I wish I was.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> if only.
2: <laughs> it's not that exciting, but it but it, it is it's important because I've never seen it since. And I don't know why.
1: Jesus Christ. Real-time audio recording of Dominic a, flipping through a dictionary. A, a, B, this is staying CD. in.
0: This set. is absolutely staying in. This so is yeah, this is a set. This is an er- This is like a recreation of an early print
2: set. Okay, primitive. Okay, probate court. Okay, we're getting there.
0: <laughs> it rep- yeah, you know? prolong. The yeah, rep- happening. <laughs> yeah, reprobate. Also describes Protoss, Yeah.
2: <laughs> punch. <laughs> Oh, too far. Christ. Yeah, you, went, you, went, too you far. went too far. I went too Backed far. Current. Yeah. <laughs> 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 there it is. Having or revealing indecent desires or thoughts to reveal morbid curiosity. Oh. Hmm. So that was the death metal connection. So it's sex and death. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, she named the, the project and then now I had a name. So I said, Oh, I'm going to play. I have, I, I have this, I'm going to, I'm going to share this with you. I'm working on this stuff. Yeah. It's called prurient.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So he was like, okay, here's the thing though. I've never played a show. So I don't know how to do anything. Can you play in the band? <laughs> He's like, yeah, I, I can play at the band. So the first prurient show was me and Matt Simmons and this other guy, who was our friend Josh Santek, who actually did the vocals in the first wow. show, I didn't do the vocals; it was somebody else.
0: That's I never knew that. What did you do?
2: I did bass guitar noise
0: <laughs> through
2: the was cabinet. Not, was not from expecting that.
0: <laughs> Oh right, right—that you had the was, they, had a, they had the yeah, had
2: at the place. Exactly, yeah. it was in my mom's basement. And he did vocals through the karaoke machine <laughs> with the fucking. Get a
1: little reverb the, on there. With the echo on. Yeah, yeah
2: exactly. That, yep. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And then Matt Simmons played a grinder, and he just grinded fucking sheet metal or something. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> and it was so ridiculous because we couldn't get a venue. We had figured out that we had a band before that called Christmas Trees.
0: Wait, so so Christmas Trees is pre-Purient? Yes. Wow. And that's you and Matt
2: Simmons. Yes. And Josh Santec.
0: Okay, so that's Christmas Trees... Existed yeah, but before that's,
2: yeah, that's almost like not even that important because the mm-hmm. point is that, well, it is important in the sense that we were always getting turned away because it was basically noise core. It was just feedback, vocals, drums, and just fucking, it was just feedback and drums. Mm-hmm. We couldn't get a show anywhere. Right. Because we were just shit. Yeah. <laughs> Why? <laughs> because at the time is like nobody, there was just no context for it. mm mm-hmm. In Wisconsin. Correct. So anyway, we had figured out that you could use a public park. And the reason why that was important is because public parks had electricity. It was like, yeah, they, you mm-hmm. could like so, the little pavilions. gazebos would yeah. have the like. Yeah, you could, you could use it. Actually, it was more like Frank Lloyd Wright stone structures. Oh, wow.
1: The first show I saw in freshman year of high school in 1992 was in a public park not far from the school. It was like punk bands from the high school really? playing in the park. Okay, yeah, yeah cool. Where was that? Uh, Bellevue, Washington, Bellevue Square Park, right wow. next to uh, Bellevue Square Mall.
2: Not far away from Bellingham, yeah, Washington.
0: not too far away from old Kenneth Bianchi's. Like <laughs> About a
1: half
2: final, hour, yeah.
0: like, so, <laughs>
2: <yeah>. <laughs> it was important because they had electricity, and if you if you put an ad in the newspaper in the local newspaper in the weekly, it would cost twenty five dollars, and as long as it was free and open to the public you could legally rent the space and make noise and you didn't need a permit. Wow. That was the permit. So we did that. The funny thing is, is that at the first show, the landing was, it was a two level outdoor stone structure. So the basement was like a big stone fireplace with a rounded stone bench for seating with a roof. And then the upper level was, it had a, a, a balcony with a fence, a metal fence, and then a really tall stone overhang. So Josh and I were on the top, and Matt was in the bottom. So the first show was two stories. <laughs> <laughs> so we had we couldn't see each other or hear anything. No <laughs> monitors. And no, then
0: yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah the yeah, yeah, <laughs> time you just think like, well, you, you can know, just right. hear it through the amps. No, like, oh, like you don't right. even think like,
2: oh, right. Like, yeah. and, and Matt didn't even he didn't even have amplification. He was just doing the raw grinder noise.
0: Right.
3: <laughs> oh
2: my god. <laughs> and because of the haters, we wanted to wear ski masks. Oh man, we were all wearing. But the, here's the thing: is like we didn't want to be too generic, mm-hmm. <laughs> so we said, "Oh, and it was like Wisconsin, so there's all this snow shit everywhere." So we had white ski masks mm. and white gloves, and <laughs> we're all black. <laughs> Wow, where did
3: the audience go? Were they on the top level, the bottom level? Where they no, they just
2: stood out in the lawn.
0: <laughs> right,
3: right, so they right. They
2: weren't even in the structure; they were just outside. <laughs>
0: and they were like, "There's the three of you in white ski mask and white gloves and all that." Yeah.
2: And there was like little kids and stuff. And Dave Andre from Bishu came and basically all his buddies. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then they did a really they had a, an incredible uh, project together called PCDS Potassium Cyanide Dogbane Sentiment, and they did this insane performance where they brought a old full size photocopy machine to the park. And <laughs> they took apart, they dismantled the photocopy machine. And that was just it. That was the noise. So it was just. Oh my God. Shrieking and, and pieces of the metal from the machine and then the glass and all the stuff just breaking. And, and they were just roll around in the parts on the stone. And it was just pure barbarism, you know? <laughs> oh my God. And no amplification. No amplification, and that, that was so crucial to me because not only did I learn about like tapes and the haters, but he was the guy that really instilled the idea of this is performance. You have to play live, and you don't have to play with instruments, and you don't have to do anything. You just have to show up. You have to fucking think about this as something that happens live. So he was the guy that really basically, that was the start of my live career. And then at the end of the night, we had brought all these old TVs and all this old computer monitors and crap like that. And there was a big-ass bonfire in the fireplace in the lower structure. And we just literally destroyed all the stuff. We just smashed it all oh up. God. And there's a great video of it. It's just pure... You know, it's like New Black Hater. is just the sound of destruction.
0: Did, did this video get released? Or you just still no, have it? it's never been released. you just no. you have it.
2: But the, the set from potassium cyanide dogbane sentiment became the first ever release that I did on another label, which was on Bichu and it was a split cassette of Perient and PCDS. And it was from that set. Oh, wow, Oh My tracks are all just garbage, <laughs> but they have the live recording. So that was the real true birth of hospital. It was Halloween 97. And it was basically like, this is it. We're doing it again, person, place and thing. We already had the recordings. We we're already making these tapes. We had the place. The only thing missing was the thing. After I brought back the box of CDs and I was like, I really love this haters. One time after the fact, he was like, I want you to come over to my house. He invited me to his house. And that was kind of a big deal because he was older and I was like, you know.
0: he Was he out of high school or –
2: no, oh, but children. he was like a senior and he was like right, graduating right. and I was like younger. You right, know? Like right. I was two years younger. Right. So he took me into the basement and he had this awesome basement den and there was all these cool Dada sculptures and stuff that he made. There was like a wooden coat hanger with yarn, like different colored yarn tied to hunting arrows on the front of the door, stuff like that. Sick. And he didn't say anything. He had a huge TV and it was, it had been all destroyed with magnets. So it was one of those big old like TVs from like the 60s or the 50s with a huge wooden box. And he would just hold magnets in front of it. So it was only played static. It was so fucked up that the static was blue and it would rush in from the side and then go upward and it would shoot up like a river going upwards. And he turned out the lights and he put on Mind the Gap, which what at the time in my memory felt like crazy loud, which is probably not loud at all, <laughs> but it felt loud. Oh yeah. man. And he didn't say a word. And he, he took a, a pair of medical scissors that was tied to a string with a whistle on the end. He draped the scissors in front of the TV and it made a silhouette. And he didn't say a word. And we, we sat there in silence and we listened to the whole, the whole mind, the gap. And that was the initiation, the test of like, can you hang or not? Can you focus? after that we decided we're going to start a label of our own which meant tapes and what should it be called and we pulled out a a binder that was in the graphic design classroom did the old data game where you open up a book and you point to a random word and uh, i don't know it it was it was like an architectural manual or something like engineering manual and it just said hospital and we were like perfect And that was it.
0: Sold. That's it, wow. And
2: then we brought the scissors in, we scanned the scissors, and the idea for the logo was, with the dotted line, was that it was based on a coupon from a grocery store. So the idea was that you were supposed to cut out, you know, like you would cut out the coupon and so it was like the box was the TV, and then you would cut it out with the scissors, and then the scissors were hanging.
0: And this, so the scissors in the actual logo are a scan of those actual scissors.
2: The actual scissors in the actual lo- logo are the scan of the scissors, and thankfully, I still have the actual scissors. Oh, You do? Oh, yes. That which I so almost boring. had a heart attack because when I moved away, I told my mom, "Whatever you do, like don't lose this box. Like it's really important, you know." <laughs> And then I came back and she's like, oh yeah, like, you know, we were cleaning out the the attic and we, you know, there's a bunch of your stuff. And I think, I think your stepdad threw it all away because it was just sort of like a bunch of garbage. And I was like, yeah, you know, like, <laughs> what have you done? You're tearing my heart up. <laughs> That's my basic instinct. That's my basic instinct. You know, but then luckily it was just, we found it later.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Good, good, good. Oh, there yeah." Were those on display oh, wow. at the hospital store?
2: No, I never did no. it. Because I couldn't find them because I thought my fucking mom lost them for years. <laughs> they were supposed to be. Because I even said, one day I'm gonna have the store, and it's gonna be in New York City, and it's yeah. gonna be a TV playing static, and I'm gonna put those scissors in that window. <laughs> never happened. Instead
0: it was the Minatoli. So you know, I yeah. think that's a good I think that's a yeah, good uh, it was the Minotoli, yeah right, right.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So 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 that's my rambling ass story about uh getting into it's absolutely
0: incredible. Um so so then so when how quickly then did a simple mark come out once you had the name hospital, once you had the name Purient, when was it 97 that the first thing came out? And this is
2: a a huge bummer, a huge bummer. Well, it started in ninety seven and all the music was done, but it it probably ended up coming out, and this is like a downer in retrospect, but it it probably ended up coming out like Oh, like it came out in like January, it probably came out like January 1st, you oh, know, 98. 90-
0: oh, 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 totally, right? Like, yeah, totally. <laughs> like, oh, mom. like 98. I was yeah. like, oh, man, you know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but it actually says 98 on the tape, but it was clearly arbitrary. It may have, well, it should have said 97.
0: Right. Which
3: is and, when it was uh, made. We
2: didn't, yes. So I was like, that's how I learned how to dub tapes. I dubbed them on tape. And my mom, again, it was just random. And I fucking wish I could figure it out and I can't. It was her tape deck and we did, I can't, Jesus Christ. I can't remember how many copies. Wasn't many.
0: Like 10, not many or like. No, it was like 20 or 20 or 30. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah.
2: But there was no concept of sure that you could even that, like 25 was like the world you know it was yeah, like it yeah. was like oh this is like way too many you yeah. know this is just this is ridiculous <laughs> <It's>, you know <laughs> like calm st- down
0: you st- know st- still kind of feels like that sometimes you know what I mean like 25 Three. you're like whoa whoa hey. actually though
1: it's funny because starting starting runs for labels now are often like 100 because it's sort of the norm and the size of a box of blank tapes you buy whereas like yeah when I started Chondritic, I did like edition 17 because that is about all I thought I would ever want to hear whatever you are doing. You don't know there's an audience for it, or at least back then I certainly didn't know that there was any audience for it, and I'm sure you were like "Where? what are we going to do with these damn 25 tapes?
2: You know the other thing that's never really mentioned much that's totally just the real deal? Is sometimes it's just what you have. That's yeah. the thing. Hey, yeah, I can get 20 of these tapes. I bought them at fucking Walgreens, and that's what it's going to be. There's no... There's always this sense of conspiracy now. Yeah. And I really resent that because a lot of this just came out of necessity. This is what we have. This is what we can afford. It's what's available at the time. Fuck yeah. it. Move on. It's not necessarily designed to prevent anybody from anything necessarily. It's just this is what it is.
1: Especially original the, packaging. Yeah. One yeah. of the first tapes I released was done on tapes that were, they were taken out of the free bin at a local record store. And then I just dubbed over them and spray painted them. And wow. that was like how what I don't know there was like a uh, twenty three of those tapes for free so that's what the edition was it wasn't yep. it wasn't anything else it was like I had these tapes we dubbed material over it I had whatever packaging I made and that was it there's there was no yeah it's no what you had left I got a box here of tapes it's, I have a box of miscellaneous tapes that has like twenty five of a variety of length of tapes in it and one day there would be just some edition twenty five tapes out because why not yep. just you just make a thing yeah
2: and you feel like if Ron now did. The recycled tapes, people will be up in arms about it. It doesn't sound good, or oh, the, the lanes are different. Oh my god, I'm being <laughs> yeah. ripped off. Yeah. There's just no sense yeah. of the suffering. There's not a guarantee. There's no fucking guarantee. That's gone. Yeah. Now everybody mm-hmm. wants a guarantee.
1: My Smell and yeah. Quim recycled tape is on a New Kids on the a Block tape, number. and ends with like a couple minutes of New Kids on the Block after you listen to Smell and Quim recycled tape. Yeah, and that's there just go. there's like,
2: no sense it works of works perfectly situationalism that's Mm -hmm. part of the fun is not getting the thing part of the fun is not knowing what you're going to receive yes and i think that has totally been destroyed important thing about the tapes is that one of the guys that was friends with dave andre and matt simmons his father worked at or owned a tape duplication company
0: oh no way whoa
2: there's like two versions of it. There's the first version. And then there's the second version, which was a technically a pro dubbed tape, awesome. which is so weird in retrospect. Right, right. And they were like, Oh, we'll take care of this. And it was one of those things you didn't even send in the art because you made all the covers. So all they knew is the title and the catalog number, somebody randomly picking a font typing out the label and then stickering the label. So some of these early hostile tapes are these crazy labels because they're all randomized from the tape duplication of this guy's dad that was doing them as a favor (laughs) to his son. (laughs) (laughs) There's like tiki typefaces, there's like cyber-y kind of stuff. It's like all kinds of wildly inappropriate typography. (laughs) 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 Um, But, so once that kind of started rolling, so again, there's a anti-technology so it was also anti-commercial to reveal morbid curiosity so i had a I believe it was a ralph lauren ad there were these postcards and it's just a model and it's just like painted and splattered and defaced this is before i had a typewriter so i just wrote everything by hand but at the time i had already received i need to backtrack so that again like this is a really important moment so it was the Resound that came out I believe it's 97. I could be wrong with the current state of American noise article by Joe Romer. And in that it said, and they, and that's when they were already full on with the noise distribution. Yeah. And so he wrote the article and did you guys actually see that magazine or not?
0: Yes, absolutely. And, and I've seen that particular one. Definitely. Yeah.
2: So it was Romer writing just about noise. And at the end of the thing, Also, that's my introduction to Skin Crime. Skin Crime had just released Horror Butcher. And it was just, I couldn't imagine. That name was so haunting to me then. And again, it was like, oh, fuck. Like, this isn't gore. It's like crime. It's criminal. It's real.
3: Right.
0: Yeah. It's
2: true It's true crime. Yeah. (laughs) So at the end, he says, everyone listening to noise should be making noise. Send me the tapes. Yep. And again, that was like the metal fest thing where it's like, oh, you could go see your one of your favorite bands and the guy from the other band standing next to you. And there's like, there's no separation. So seeing that in writing from Joe was like really powerful. Cause it was just saying basically that noise had no audience. It was only participants. And so I did, I sent him our tapes and I got a letter back in a week and I wrote him an incredibly obnoxious rookie letter. And I was like, tell me everything. I don't know how to do anything. I don't know how to press a record. I don't know how to dub a tape. I don't know how to make tape cut-ups. I don't know even who's out there. I don't know distribution. I don't know anything. And I got back like a multi-page letter with a flyer for intensive care before it came out. and, uh, And loud in your ears, comp tape on less than zero. Insane. It was... It was all the answers to my questions divided by country. Like these are the bands, these are the artists. Wow! You know this is this is United Record Pressing. Wow! You just you is, every, you just yes. get these kind of tape decks, like literally, just he took the time to answer my questions. What a sweetheart! From zero, so that informed a lot of what I did. Was just that one letter. I had already received the first noise vinyl I got was the Macro Grunt Split. And it had the buttons in there.
0: the The eye, I, I for an eye, is the the record.
2: Yes, it was the eye for an eye split. I'm trying to think. Like, what was the first time I saw the macro symbol? So my point was that when I was doing the, when I was finally ready to release the tape, I decided, oh, I want a symbol on the tape. I want a not a logo. I want a symbol. Right. So I made this weird like egg insect kind of symbol for uh-huh. current that. That only got used a couple of times and it was only in the nineties. Okay. And I think that's like industrial. Cause I don't really think of death metal bands having symbols. No,
0: that's definitely more. No. So it was a really thing.
2: powerful moment where it was like, oh, you can, you, you can like, this represents like more than it is. And it's also a visual world and it's also a world that, that is representational. And so I made like a quick thing and it was like sucked or whatever, and it didn't take hold, but like any good logo, you have to use it over and over. It's still 20 fucking whatever years later. It's not that different from what's still happening. Like those foundational moments, I'm still splattering paint and making symbols for other bands and writing out things by hand. You know, like I just did this record that's coming out for Nick Forte calling it Death Metal Electronics. And I was like, oh man, let's make a quick logo for that. And it's just white out, you know, just quick, quick bunch of splattered pain and just using the white out, like the old Muslim guys record, And the point is that it's about immediacy.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: That That is something that Tagno doesn't have. That really came from, I think noise, this idea of just doing something. And again, like a lot of the criticism of all oh, these limitations are being prevented. It's like, well, a lot of times it's just, it's not really that thought out in the sense of it's not a master plan. It's just about the moment, the action of doing something. So was it the greatest logo or symbol for a band? No, but it was just like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to do something. I'm going to do it right now and I'm going to document it. And I think that is something that really does separate this from pretty much any other genre is that there's such an acceptance of it's not just the moments because free jazz, improvisational music, there's no shortage of that. There's no shortage of like shitty ambient music where some guy sits down with a reverb pedal and and makes a ambient record. But there is something about the idea of representation. You're representing the moment. It's not necessarily the moment in and of itself. And that's really important. So getting that from Joe was like, If you don't have a typewriter, if you don't have anything, you got a pen and paper. There's no barrier. There's no stopping. You just fucking use what you have, period. It's the what can I do with what I have mentality rather than, oh, I have all these options. Right. It's the power of limitations.
1: It's one of the things I even like about uh, when you look at 90s, especially European tapes, the, the tape labels aren't nicely bought 12 on a sheet tape labels. It's a piece of rectangular paper cut and glued to the tape. There's no, there's no like special product to label your tape. It's you glue a piece of paper on there.
2: Funny you say that because I've been in a big Walkman mood lately, and I've been listening to a Walkman again in the house, and especially at night. And I just destroyed my Walkman with an old Europa Cafe <laughs> <laughs> tape by jamming. I was like, what, "What the hell? This isn't this fitting in there," and I just kept. Because I'm a Calabreas so I don't learn from any (laughs) lessons. I just keep making the same mistake over and over. And I smashed out. There was these little pins Mm -hmm. that go into the bottom of the tape, not the tape holes. And that was covered up by his something went wrong in there. It was a Richard (laughs) Ramirez. Wow! It was the bleeding head wound tape.
0: Oh wow! And and the way the label was that, over it, it's
2: just like yeah.
1: <laughs> broke the pins. Yeah. Well, it's like Scott Arford was saying, like his his big moment that changed him was getting a fortune cookie that said, "Use the technology that's available to you," and that's you know exactly what you're describing.
0: Yeah, it's just right. using mm-hmm. using the things you have have available have in front of you, and especially when you're so when you were so young. Yeah, it just it probably wouldn't you yeah you how could you get you know certain things
2: and also when you're so old now yeah yeah yeah, yeah exactly. i mean it was so, old, so you're limited.
0: Yeah, yeah 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 you're like old <laughs> and like
2: <laughs> so the thing about the tapes is that it allowed us to start distributing them when mm. they were made by the producers so we literally just walk around with a shoebox I had a shoebox And I also started distributing the Bichu tapes in Madison.
3: (laughs) Did you decorate your shoebox?
2: Yeah. Was it
1: like collaged up?
2: No, but I think it was an Eddie Bauer (laughs) forest green shoebox, if I'm not mistaken. Nice.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I think that that color is technically just Eddie Bauer green, right?
0: Yeah, I think think that's what that (laughs) is. That's probably copyrighted, yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
2: That's Green River green. That's (laughs) That's Ridgeway green. Uh, Yeah. So distributing Bichu in our tapes – Meant me walking down the hallway of the school in high school with a shoebox, literally asking every single person if they wanted to buy a tape (laughs) for three bucks, dude.
1: So, kind of what goes on at the merch table these days? Yeah, 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 except except,
2: except (laughs) that boy, that it's not three bucks anymore, is it? But I mean, we we moved a lot of tapes that way. Oh, that's so cool. That's awesome. And I wonder, because I just wonder what the hell happened. All those totally t- <laughs> where because are? Because it was like an anti scene in the sense that. Okay. Well, we have no scene. We're going to build our own. Like we're, we don't have a venue. We're going to go to a public park. We don't have an audience. Let's invite our friends. Mm-hmm. We don't have any distribution. Let's just walk around and ask strangers. Like there was no concept of scene at all. There was no concept of getting really feedback because it was so local. It was just mm-hmm. local.
1: Well, you mentioned letter writing as being part of the death metal thing. When when did you start writing letters, and did you try and get these tapes out outside of school? You mean and, to the noise
2: scene? Yeah, yeah. Well, it really came from that letter from Joe, because that had a, a laundry list of addresses. You know, as K2, it was Joshua Norton Cabal, oh my God. it was RRR, MSBR, molest. Different, I I can't remember exactly, but it was like, you know, all the usual suspects basically who who were totally new to me. So we worked on a comp called Bad Timing and we got a macro track, which happened to be an alternate version of the Shawcross 7 inch. That's an extended version, which again, I had no idea even what the murder series was. It was like, oh, cool.
0: So so that was actually, you heard that before? That was my introduction to the.
2: Yeah. Oh, that that's, was my introduction to the murder series. That's so wow. cool. That's the one, you know, we got these big rolls of felt and stencils and took acrylic paint and stencils and wrote hospital and mashed it into the felt. The idea was, it's going to be a, a sampler. Right. So it was all our shitty local bands and a couple of other tracks from Macro and Joshua and Cabal and I think noise girl. That was the idea. It was like, man, we have a macro track. And when I say we, it was me, Matt Simmons and my girlfriend at the time who did a project called Nuclear Pig which was all made out of, she lived on a farm. It was all sounds from the farm, it was animal sounds. It was stanchions, it was old equipment, it was tractors. It was industrial but rural, farm
0: industrial. Yeah,
2: yeah. So that you know, the tapes called "Farm Noise." Oh, wow. She also enlisted her kid brother and sister. <laughs> so it the had family, like eight, family band. Yeah, it's a family industrial rural noise project, <laughs> and she actually appears on a ten-inch comp called Sirens which, as far as I know, and I could be totally wrong, is one of the first, if not the first, female noise compilation.
1: Look I don't it up. think it was, I know that.
2: Co-released by Flenix and MSBR, and uh, and uh, Brimming Vessels, a Zipper Spy, and Timmy Sora and a bunch of other stuff.
1: Do you know that, Greg? Uh, I'm not familiar with this comp, no. Love me some Timmy Sora though.
2: It was put together in the 90s, but I don't think it actually came out until 2000. Mm. Mm-hmm. The point was... It was the three of us and also we were so naive and, and at the time, you know, we'll always be together. You know, we'll do this forever. We don't need to keep our stuff. Right. As, long, yeah, as,
0: of as yeah. long
2: as one of us has it, we're good. Yeah. <laughs> Boy.
0: <laughs> Didn't work out that way, did it?
2: Didn't work out that way. <laughs> but I remember having a discussion. This, if this doesn't work, the label's over. We're done, like we're done. We can't keep going on like this. <laughs> and it's, and and that, it's was 90, and it, that was ninety. That was ninety nine. I
0: was gonna say, and it's 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 a it's conversation a you have it's probably daily. I think <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's,
2: definitely. It's, it's like every update. We can't go on like this. You we know? can't go like, on like this. At, every, every, at the end of every tour, it can't go on like this. At the start of every tour, yeah, we, we can't go on like this
0: it's yeah 20 years later it's uh not much has changed
2: but so that was literally designed as a promo so in answer to gray's question so every address in that letter we just sent the comp mm-hmm. as a promo It's was like mm-hmm. hey we exist and i think i even wrote letters like we've been mostly local but we're branching out we're always interested in collaboration and splits mm-hmm. and you know aka we we're really cut off
0: yeah 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 we are, you know. we are this is a lifeline we're throwing out
2: yeah. And we're, yeah yeah we don't know if anybody's gonna read this or not or yeah. get this but yeah sort of like coast guard rescue swimmer <laughs> you're going in but you don't know if you're coming
1: out yeah <laughs> you've been listening to noise extra noise extra is brought to you by chondritic sound a home to noise artists for over 17 years by Verdant Weapons, maker of quality contact microphones and noise devices, and by our Patreon supporters. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash noise and your support really helps. You can find us on Instagram at noise extra, on the web at noiseextra.com, one E in those, and on Twitter at noise extra, with three A's at the end. Thank you for listening to us and to noise.